Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. Hello there, and today we are sharing Chapter 24, The Temple Legend, from Mackey's Revised History of Freemasonry, uh, from the Prehistoric Masonry section. The Temple Legend is a title that we may fairly give to that legend or tradition which traces the origin of Freemasonry as an organized institution to the Temple of Solomon and to the builders, Jewish and Tyrian, who are employed in the construction of that edifice. The tradition of the temple is the legend that is now almost universally accepted by the great mass of the Masonic fraternity. Perhaps nine out of ten of the Freemasons of the present day, that is to say, all those who receive tradition with the undoubting faith that should be given only to history, conscientiously believe that Freemasonry, as we now see it, organized into lodges and degrees with grandmasters, masters, and wardens with the same ritual observances, was first devised by Solomon, king of Israel. They also accept as a fact the claim that under King Solomon, our system of Freemasonry assumed its position as a secret society during the period when that great leader was engaged in the building of the temple on Mount Moriah. We find that this theory is not a new one. Probably it was at first suggested by the passage in the Legend of the Craft, which briefly describes the building of the temple and the official support of Solomon to the charges which his father David had given to the Freemasons. There can be no doubt from this part of the legend that the Temple of Solomon had a leading place in the ideas of the Freemasons of the Middle Ages. How much use they made of it in their secret ceremonies we, of course, are unable to learn. It is, however, a curious coincidence, if nothing more, that there was a somewhat similar legend among the Compagnons de la Tour, or Traveling Companions Journeymen. These were mystical associations of workmen who sprang up in France about the 12th century. They are supposed to have been an offshoot of dissatisfied journeymen from the body of overbearing masters who at that period formed the ruling power over the corporate guilds of operative Freemasons and other crafts. The traditions of this society in reference to the Temple of Solomon throw much light on the ideas which prevailed among the Freemasons in respect to the same subject. In fact, the temple legends of the Compagnons are better known to us as those of the operative Freemasons of the Middle Ages. Finally, as it is not at all unlikely that the ideas of the former were derived from those of the latter, it will be well worth our while to take a brief survey of the temple legend of the Compagnonage. The Compagnons de la Tour have three distinct legends, each of which traces the association back to the Temple of Solomon. They credited the organization with having three different founders. This causes the Compagnonage to be divided into three distinct and, we are sorry to say, unfriendly associations. These are the children of Solomon, the children of Maitre Jacques, and the children of Père Suisse. The children of Solomon assert that they were formed into a brotherhood by King Solomon himself at the building of the temple. The children of Maitre Jacques and those of Père Suisse declare that both of these workmen were employed at the temple. After finishing their work upon the temple, they went together to Gaul, where they taught the arts which they had learned in Jerusalem. The tradition of the Maitre Jacques is particularly interesting. He is said to have been the son of a celebrated architect named Jacquain, 
who was one of the chief masters of Solomon, and a co-worker with Hiram Abiff. From the age of 15, he was employed as a stonecutter. He traveled through Greece, where he got a knowledge of architecture and scripture. Then he went to Egypt and thence to Jerusalem. There, being engaged in the building of the temple, he made two pillars with such great skill that he was at once received as a master of the craft. It is not necessary to pursue the legend of the French Compagnonage any further. Sufficient has been told to show that they trace their origin to the Temple of Solomon and that the legend referred to events connected with that building. These associations, or perhaps we may not unfairly say, these unions of journeymen, for thus we can translate their French title, are known to have separated themselves in the 12th century from the corporations of master workmen because of the narrow and overbearing policy of these bodies, bringing about what in modern times would be called a strike. It is reasonable to suppose that they carried with them into their new and independent organization many of the customs, ceremonies, and traditions which they had learned from the main body or master's guilds of which they were an offshoot. Therefore, although we have not been able to find any legend or tradition of the operative Freemasons of the Middle Ages which trace their origin to the Temple of Solomon, yet we can logically draw definite and clear conclusions from the evidence at hand. We find such a tradition prevailing among an association of workmen who, as we know, were at one time identified with the operative Freemasons, and that they left them because of a difference of opinion on a question of policy. We have thus a reasonable right to believe that the legend of the Compagnons de la Tour, or associated journeymen, which traced their origin to the Temple of Solomon, was derived by them from the corporations of masters or guilds of operative Freemasons, among whom it was an accepted tradition. Certainly, we have in this way the foundation for a reasonable belief that the legend of the temple origin of Freemasonry is older than the time of the revival in the beginning of the 18th century. We can also conclude that it had been a recognized doctrine among the operative Freemasons of the Middle Ages. Absence of the story in any formal detail from all the old manuscripts does not prove that there was no such legend. That being of a secret character, it may from conscientious motives or in obedience to some regulation never having been set down in writing. This is, however, a mere supposition and cannot in any way interfere with deductions drawn from positive data in reference to the legend of the third degree. There may have been a temple legend, and yet the details told in it may have been very incomplete and not have included the events related to the former account. The first reference in the old records to the Temple of Solomon was connected with the origin of Freemasonry, is to be found in the Cook Manuscript, and is in the following words. What time that the children of Israel dwelled in Egypt, they learned the craft of masonry. And afterward they were driven out of Egypt, and they came to the land of behest, or promised, and is now called Jerusalem. And it was occupied, and the making of Solomon's temple that King David began. King David loved well masons, and he gave him right nigh as they may be know. And at the making of the temple in Solomon's time, as hit is said in the Bible, in the 23rd book of Regum in Teco, Regum Capito Quinto, which in parentheses says 1 Kings chapter 5, that Solomon had 35 score thousand masons at his work, and the king's son of Tyre was his master mason. And in other chronicles, it is said, and in old books of masonry, that Solomon confirmed the charges that David his father had gave to masons, and Solomon himself taught him, them, their manners or customs, but little difference from the manners that now been used. And fro thanes this worthy science was brought into France and into many other regions. And I apologize for that. That is written in Old English and is a little tough to get through. 
The Dowland manuscript, whose supposed date is about 100 years later than the Cook, gives nearly the same legend, but with the additional circumstances that David learned the charges that he gave from Egypt, where they had been made by Euclid, that he added other charges to these, that Solomon sent into various countries for Freemasons, whom he gathered together, that the name of king of Tyre was Iram, and that of his son, who was Solomon's chief master, was Anon, and finally, that he was a master of geometry and of carving and graving. We see in this brief story the first edition of which dates back as far as the 15th century, the germs of the fuller legend which prevails among the craft at the present day. There was an organization of Freemasons with charges and manners, that is, laws and customs, at the building of the Temple of Jerusalem. King Solomon was assisted in the work by the king of Tyre and by a skillful artist who had been sent to him by Hiram. These are the two most important points in the theory of the temple origin of Freemasonry, and both are clearly set forth in these early legends. We next find the legend repeated, but with more thorough working out of the details. Most of these particulars, however, are taken from the Book of Kings, as referred to in the Legend of the Craft by Anderson, in the first edition of the Constitutions, and with a few additional particulars found in the second edition of the same work. Preston, the next important Masonic writer after Anderson, does not indeed relate or refer to the legend in any part of his illustrations of Masonry, but the theory that Freemasonry found its origin at the Temple is to be deduced from the historical traditions contained in the third lecture of the Prestonian system from which Webb derived it, and he has made it popular and prized among American Freemasons to the present day. Hutchinson, who followed Preston, although, as has been seen, he inclined to a more remoter origin of the order, repeatedly refers in his Spirit of Masonry, and especially in his sixth lecture, to the Temple of Solomon as a place where the true craftsmen were proved in their work. This author assumed that Solomon placed these craftsmen in different ranks, giving to each appropriate signs and secret tokens, and organized them for the first time into an association of builders, the forerunners of the Freemasons being up to that time sages who, though acquainted with the principles of geometry and architecture, were engaged solely in philosophical studies and pursuits. In this way, Hutchinson gave the weight of his influence in favor of the legend which credited the origin of operative and speculative Freemasonry to Solomon and to his temple, although his views on this subject differ from those of other writers. Dr. Oliver, one of the most fruitful and industrious of the legendary writers, although in his own theory he seeks to trace the origin of Freemasonry to a much more distant period over the world's history, yet speaks much in detail in many of his works, but principally in his antiquities and in his historical landmarks, of the system which was for the first time organized at the building of the Solomonic Temple. So freely and closely does he follow the latter line of thought that most readers who do not studiously read his writings and carefully scan his views are under the impression that he fully adopted the legend of the temple origin. Hence his authority has been misapplied in favor of the popular belief. The legend existed, as may be supposed from the comparison with a similar legend of the Compagnons de la Tour, among the craftsmen of the Middle Ages. Then it was according to this theory handed on to the revival period of the beginning of the 18th century. Since then, this legend has been taught in all the rituals and sustained by the best Masonic writers up to a recent period. The very natural result has been that this legend of the temple origin of Freemasonry, or in plainer words, the theory that Freemasonry received at the time of the building of the Temple of Jerusalem, that form and organization which it holds at the present day, has been and continues to be a dogma of faith absolutely believed by the masses of fraternity. Therefore, it is well that we should now see precisely what is the form and substance of this popular legend, as received at the present day by the body of the craft, 
it may be stated as follows. When Solomon was about to commence the building of his temple, his own people, not being expert or experienced architects, he applied to his friend Hiram, the monarch of the neighboring kingdom of Tyre, for assistance. Hiram, in complying with his request, sent to him a numerous body of workmen. At their head, a noted artist was called, as a mark of esteem, Hiram Abiff, a name equivalent to the title Hiram the Father, who is described as a cunning man endued with understanding. King Solomon then proceeded to organize the institution into a form which has been adopted as the model of that prevailing at the present day in every country where Freemasonry exists. The legend that contains the classification of the workmen at the temple, a story and a list freely adopted in modern Freemasonry, is taken partly from scripture and partly from tradition. An examination of it would not be out of place right here. There are two accounts, slightly conflicting, in the account of the Bible. In the second book of Chronicles, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, are the following words. And Solomon numbered all the strangers that were in the land of Israel, after the number wherewith David his father had numbered them, and there were found an hundred and fifty thousand and three thousand and six hundred. And he set threescore and ten thousand of them to be bearers of burden, and fourscore thousand to be hewers in the mountains, and three thousand six hundred overseers to set the people at work. The same details of the figures are given in the second verse of the same chapter, again in the first book of Kings, chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. It is said, And King Solomon raised a levy out of all Israel, and the levy was thirty thousand men. And he sent them to Lebanon, ten thousand a month by courses. A month they were in Lebanon, and two months at home, and Adoniram was over the levy. These figures have not been followed strictly in the legend of the craft. The Cook manuscript says there were four score thousand masons at work, out of whom three thousand were chosen as masters of the work. The Lansdowne manuscript says that the number of masons was twenty-four thousand, but this latter number must have been a clerical error of the copyist in which he is followed only by the antiquity manuscript. Other early manuscripts agree with the Dowland and make the number of masons eighty thousand, including the three thousand overseers or masters of the work. Of course, this numbering of the craft in Israel does not accord with that which is in the book of Kings, nor with that in Chronicles, but it is all that the legend of the craft furnishes to us. Dr. Anderson, who was the first author after the revival who prepared a list of numbering and classifying the workmen at the temple, cast aside the legend altogether and made up his account from the Bible. This he published in the first edition of the Constitutions and tempered it with some traditional information. Where these latter particulars were obtained is now unknown, but it is on this classification by Anderson that all the rituals that have been used since his time are framed. Hence, he may justly be considered as the author of the legend of the workmen of the temple. We may properly call his account in that particular legend. Notwithstanding the historical element which that story contains, and we must admit that to be taken from the Bible, there are so many additions in a traditional way from his pen that it quite naturally assumes a legendary character. Anderson's account is that there were employed on the building 3,600 master masons to conduct the work according to King Solomon's directions, 80,000 hewers of stone in the mountains, who he says were fellow crafts, and 70,000 laborers who were not masons, besides the levy of 30,000 who worked under the superintendence of Adoniram, making in all 183,600. For this great number of workers, Anderson says Solomon was much obliged to Hiram, king of Tyre, who sent his masons and carpenters to Jerusalem. To control this immense army of builders and laborers, Anderson says that King Solomon presided as Grand Master at Jerusalem. King Hiram acted in the same kind of a position at Tyre, and Hiram Abiff was in general charge as the master of the work. But fifteen years afterwards, 
Anderson, in the second edition of his Constitutions, somewhat altered these views and added certain other particulars. He promotes Hiram Abiff from the, from the position of Magister Operis, or Master of the Work, to that of Deputy Grand Master in Solomon's absence, and to that of Senior Grand Warden when that king was present. Anderson also says, Solomon partitioned the fellow crafts into certain lodges with a master and wardens in each, that they might receive commands in a regular manner, might take care of their tools and jewels, might be paid every week, and be duly fed and clothed, etc. And the fellow crafts took care of their succession by educating entered apprentices. Anderson adds in a marginal note that his authority for this claim is in the traditions of old masons who talk much of these things. Doubtless it is true, he is not likely to have invented something that was so easily checked in his own day. Had he done so, there were many to correct him. But the claim cannot be found in any other old manuscripts, which are the accredited record of the Masonic traditions. We may admit that similar practices were commonly used by the operative Freemasons of the Middle Ages, but we have no historical authority, nor even legendary foundation outside of Anderson's work for tracing them to the Temple of Jerusalem. Yet out of these materials, the revisers of the ceremonies of the craft have built up a legend. This legend exists in all the Masonic construction. It must have been constructed in London at a very early period after the revival in 1717 to have been so generally accepted among all the nations who got their Freemasonry from the Grand Lodge of England. The legend of the temple origin of Freemasonry, as commonly received by the craft at the present day, is that there were 153,300 workmen employed in the construction of the temple. 3,300 of these were overseers who were placed among as well as over the craft, but who at the completion of the temple were advanced to the rank of master masons. The remaining workmen were divided into 80,000 fellow crafts and 70,000 entered apprentices. Three grand masters presided over the large number of workmen, namely Solomon, king of Israel, Hiram, king of Tyre, and Hiram Abiff, the master workman. These were the only persons who, at the building of the temple, were master masons and in possession of the secrets of the third degree. We are usually informed that the workmen were divided into lodges. The lodge of master masons, for there could be only one of that degree, consisted of three members. The lodges of fellow crafts, of which there must have been 16,000, were composed of five members of each, and the lodges of entered apprentices, of which there must have been 10,000, were of seven each. This statement has neither historical authority nor logical possibility to support it. We Freemasons should consider it as it undoubtedly was in the first place meant to be understood merely as a reference to the symbolic character of those sacred numbers in the teaching of our ancient art and science, 3, 5, and 7. In the same spirit of symbolic reference, the steps of the winding stairs leading to the middle chamber were divided into a series of 3, 5, and 7, with the addition in the English style of giving such knowledge of 9 and 11. All of this, therefore, is to be rejected from the class of legends and referred to that of symbols. Let us, in that reasonable manner, view this legend or theory of the origin of Freemasonry at the temple, tracing it from the almost naked state in which it is presented in the legend of the craft and onward, through the period of clothing which was added by Anderson, and we may suppose by de Sagalier, to the ornamented condition in which it appears in modern times. We will come in that way to the following conclusion. In the legend of the craft, we find only this claim, that King Solomon was assisted in the building of the temple by the king of Tyre, who sent him materials for the edifice and also supplied a skillful artist. On the name of this great craftsman and architect, scarcely any two of the old authorities agree. Solomon appointed him as his master of the work. 
Solomon invited masons from all lands, and having collected them together at Jerusalem, organized them into a body by giving them a system of laws and customs for their government. Now most of these facts are sustained by the historical authority of the books of Kings and Chronicles. Those are not so maintained by the Bible, have nevertheless the support of extreme probability. Solomon, king of Israel, built a temple in Jerusalem. That at any rate is a historical fact that cannot be denied or even doubted. Richard Carlyle, it is true, says, My historical researches have taught me that that which has been called Solomon's temple never existed upon earth, that a nation of people called Israelites never existed upon earth, and that the supposed history of the Israelites and their temple is nothing more than an allegory. But the measure of the moral and mental stature of Carlyle has long been taken, and even among the most skeptical critics, he remains alone in his unbelief, which had neither reason nor good taste to excuse his, his attacks. Doubtless there are oriental excesses in respect to the amount of money spent and the number of workmen employed on the building. All these may be easily and without bad intent have been overestimated and therefore overstated. But the simple naked fact that King Solomon built a temple remains uncontradicted. That assertion is as historically true and trustworthy as that of the building of any other public edifice of the olden times. It is equally historical that the king of Tyre gave assistance to Solomon in carrying out his design. However fiercely the skeptics may have attacked certain portions of the Bible, the books of Kings and Chronicles have been placed upon the footing of other ancient historical records and tried by the same standard test or canons of criticism. We are distinctly told that Hiram, king of Tyre, sent masons and carpenters to David to build him a house. We learn later on that the same Hiram, some say his son, was equally friendly with Solomon. Although there is no distinct mention either in Kings or Chronicles that he sent workmen to Jerusalem, except his namesake, the artificer, yet we may infer that he did so. This conclusion we reach from the friendship of the two kings, from the need of Solomon for expert workmen, and from the fact which we learn from the first book of Kings, that the stones for the edifice were hewn by Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the Giblam. The authorized version of the Bible, 1 Kings 5:18, translate this word Giblam as stone squarers. They were, however, the inhabitants of the city of Gabal, called by the Greeks Byblos, which was the principal seat of the worship and the mysteries of Adonis. The inhabitants were celebrated for their skill in stone carving and in shipbuilding. Thus we see that there were, according to the scriptural account, three classes of masons engaged at the building of the temple. First there were the workmen of Solomon. These were of the four score thousand hewers in the mountains, who were taken by Solomon from the strangers that were in the land of Israel, men whom Dr. Adam Clark supposes to have been not pure Israelites, but converts to the Jewish religion, so far as to give up idolatry and to keep the precepts of Noah. But we must believe that among these fourscore thousand strangers were to be counted the workmen who came from Tyre, or there will be no place for them in the list given in the first book of Kings. The 3,300 who were over the work are said to have been chief officers of Solomon, and therefore Israelites. And the remaining 70,000 were mere laborers or bearers of burden, a class for whom Solomon need not to have been indebted to the king of Tyre. Secondly, there were the workmen of Hiram, king of Tyre, these were probably, and indeed necessarily, included in the number of four score thousand strangers or foreigners. The words in the original are Anashim Gerim, men who are foreigners, for Jesenius defines the word Gerim to be sojourners, strangers, foreigners, men living out of their country. Thirdly, we have the Giblin, the inhabitants of the city of Gabal in Phoenicia, who come to Jerusalem, invited there by Solomon, 
to assist in the construction of the temple and who must also be counted among the fourscore thousand strangers. Thus, the legend of the craft is justified in saying that Solomon sent after masons into diverse countries and of diverse lands, and that he had fourscore thousand workers of stone and were all named masons. These were foreigners or sojourners whom he found in Jerusalem, many of whom had probably come there on his invitation, and to the Tyrians who had been sent to him by King Hiram, and the Phoenicians whom he had called out of Gabal on account of their well-known skill in stonecutting. All of these amounted to 80,000, the number stated in the book of Kings and Chronicles, and just the number mentioned in the legend of the craft. It will be seen that the legend of the craft takes no notice of the levy of 30,000 who worked under Adoniram on Mount Lebanon, nor of the 70,000 who were employed as bearers of burdens, as the former were merely woodcutters and the latter common laborers. The legend does not class them among the Masons any more than it does the 3,300 who were, according to the biblical account, officers in the court of Solomon, appointed merely to overlook the Masons and to see that they had worked faithfully, perhaps also to pay them their wages and to distribute their food and to supervise generally their conduct. The legend of the craft differs entirely from the modern instruction, which includes all these classes, and therefore figures out that at the building of the temple there were 153,300 masons instead of 80,000. The legend is certainly more in accord with the authority of the Bible. The legend of the craft is also justified in saying that Solomon organized these masons into what might be called a guild, that is, a society or corporation, by giving them charges and manners. In other words, a code of laws and regulations. On this question, the Bible account is silent, but it fairly amounts to a probability, remote, but within reason, the nearest approach to historical evidence that there must have been some regulations made into law for the government of so large a number of workmen. We may go further and say it is also equally probable that to avoid confusion, these workmen must have been divided into sections, or what modern workshop talk, talk would be called gangs, engaged in various parts of the building and in different employments. There must have been a higher and more skillful class occupied in directing the works of these several sections, there must have been others less skillful and yet competent to discharge the duties of stone cutters and layers, and there must have been another and still inferior class who were only learning the first steps of the trade. Following out to their logical end these evident propositions, Anderson made his division of the workmen at the temple into the three classes of master masons, fellow crafts, and entered apprentices. But he abandoned the legend in calling the 3,600 officers of King Solomon master masons and making the whole number, exclusive of the 70,000 laborers and the 30,000 woodcutters on Mount Lebanon, 83,000, and afterwards stating that there were 183,000 masons in all. A contradiction of his own previous statement, as well as of the legend of the craft, which states that the whole number of masons to have been 80,000. The modern teaching in our ceremonies may, however, be considered as having adopted the Temple of Jerusalem as a type of that great and rich symbol of a spiritual temple which forms one of the most important and most interesting symbolic lessons on which the philosophy of speculative masonry depends. But viewing it as a historical statement, it is without all claims to belief. The facts stated in the monitors are an outgrowth of those contained in the legend of the craft, which it has greatly altered by unauthorized additions and it is an entire contradiction to those given in the Book of Kings and Chronicles. The claim that Freemasonry took its origin at the building of the temple is without any historical authority. The legend of the craft, upon which, to be consistent, all Masonic rituals should be founded, assigns its origin equally to two other periods, to that of the building of the Tower of Babel, when Nimrod was Grand Master, and to Egypt, under the geometrician Euclid. 
Why the Temple of Solomon was exclusively selected by modern Freemasons as the cradle of their order can, in the opinion of Brother Mackey, be only guessed. Brother W.J. Hugan points out that the extraordinary popularity of books on the Temple of Solomon and the many models made and publicly shown during the latter part of the 17th century and early in the 18th century may naturally have led to the use of the legend in the Masonic construction from some time in the Revival period, say about 1717 to 1723. He further thinks that we must admit it cannot be said that the old charges make a leading feature of that great historical building. Neither are the biblical worthies familiar to modern Freemasons very noticeable figures in the ancient manuscripts of the fraternity. The reports of Quatuor Coronati Lodge, number 2076 London, for 1899, are worth a careful study on this point. We are not unwilling to believe, for reasons that have been already suggested, that the operative or stonemasons of the Middle Ages had some tradition or legend of the origin of the institution at the Temple of Solomon. If that be granted, we are inclined to credit their selection of this in preference to any other stately building of old to these reasons. The Freemasons of the Middle Ages were as an association of builders most closely connected with the church officials of that period. Their principal home at one time was in the monasteries with the monks, they worked under the immediate favor and supervision of bishops and abbots, and were chiefly engaged in the construction of cathedrals and other religious edifices. Private houses at that early period were mainly built of wood, and the building of them was the business of carpenters. The trion wirhta, literally the tree workman, in modern phrase the carpenter, was one of the most important handicrafts of the early Anglo-Saxons. He was the builder of their ships as well as of their houses and the trade is frequently spoken of in the old Saxon documents. He was constantly employed in the construction of vessels for the carrying on of trade or the erection of dwellings for the residents of the people. To the stonemasons was exclusively entrusted the nobler work of building religious edifices. They were inspired with religious sentiments from their connection with the priest as well as from their peculiar employment. They naturally looked for the type of the great cathedrals which they were erecting, not to pagan temples, however splendid might be their architecture, but rather to that Jewish building which had been set up and made holy on Mount Moriah to the worship of the true God. Hence the brief notice of that building in the legend of the craft was either the suggestion of that esoteric legend of the temple, which has not from its necessarily oral or mouth-to-ear character been brought down to us, or if the written legend was later in time to the oral one, then it was a short record of it. But we do not believe that this lost legend of the stonemasons was ever intended to be strictly historical. Not so much history was, was it as philosophy in the making. A subject full of suggestion, it was simply a symbol to illustrate the idea that the Temple at Jerusalem was the type of all Christian cathedrals. This symbolic legend, which we may reasonably suppose to have existed among the stonemasons of the Middle Ages, was probably lost before the revival of Freemasonry in the year 1717. Anderson therefore framed a new legend of the craft, together with a scriptural account, all combined with more or less of his own invention. Upon this legend of Anderson's, simple in the first edition of the Constitutions, but considerably enlarged in the second, the modern authors of Monitors and Rituals have framed another legend, which in many important details differs from that of Anderson, as well as from the legend of the craft and from the account in the Bible. This is the legend now accepted and believed by the great body of the craft to be historically true. That it has no claim to historical standing is evident from the fact that it is in its most important details unauthorized and indeed is contradicted by the scriptural account. This conflict of statement can only be read in the light shed by the Bible story, for that is the one trustworthy record that we have of what took place at the building of King Solomon's temple. Moreover, 
we must not overlook the long period that elapsed between the building of the temple, a thousand years before the Christian era, and the time not earlier than the third century after Christ, during which we have no traces of the existence of such an architectural association connected with Jewish masons and continued from them to the Christian architects. This great stretch of time presents a wide gap which must be filled by authentic records before we can be enabled as scholars investigating truth to consent to the theory that the Freemasons of the present day are, by uninterrupted succession, the representatives of the Masons who wrought at King Solomon's Temple. The legend of the Temple is, in fact, a symbol, but a very important and a very interesting one. As such, it is fully discussed where the subject of Masonic symbols is treated in yet another part of this work. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.